award-winning Tennessee Wildcast is on the air with the latest on hunting, fishing, boating, wildlife watching, and all things outdoors. Make welcome your host, drummer and outdoor expert novice, Jason Harmon. Hello, everybody, and welcome to this edition of Tennessee Wildcast. Hey, we're excited. We are at Camus Boats Factory here in Ashland City, Tennessee. We got a great show for you today, kind of behind the scenes of what's going on here. And we're going to be talking with Mr. Earl Benson. It's a, it's an honor to be here with him and have Mr. Don King helping me co-host today. So, Don, thank you, and <laughs> you Earl, bet. thank you. you thank bet. you, man. Looking forward to it. This is awesome. There's a lot going on here behind us. We're at Camus Boats. And Earl, I just want to get started by telling us how this company got started. What, how did Camus get going? Well, you know, I started in the boat manufacturing business in 1975 with Hydrosports. And uh, Middle Tennessee has been known for decades as one of the headquarters of fishing boats manufacturing in the United States. So uh, my, my last company, uh, my non-compete expired. I tried retirement for three months. It didn't work. <laughs> uh, Unfortunately, the company that, that bought my old company kept it here for five years, relocated it uh, out of state, and after retiring for three months and figuring out I couldn't do it, I came back, got a lot of my old crew together, met with all the officials in Ashland City, uh, the state officials of the state of Tennessee. Tennessee's a great place to do business, and uh, we put the team back together, and we've got about 150 employees here, about half of them have been with me in excess of 35 years. So these guys are pros, they're craftsmen, they know what they're doing, and uh, we're dang happy to be here. Wow. It's really fun to watch you walk around and interact with all the, the guys and gals that are making the boats happen here. It's, it's a family kind of deal. Isn't you know, it, it is, and it's not just a cliche. You uh -huh. know, these people are like my extended family. I mean, I'm, I'm been with them for many, many years, some of them for over 40 years. And, wow. Uh, they know what they're doing. They take a lot of pride in what they do. And it's a great place to do business, you know. In the fishing industry, I've been very blessed to been able to provide for my family in a profession that's also my hobby. When I go on vacation, I go fishing. So uh, yeah. Yeah. I'm a very blessed person in more ways yeah. than you can imagine. That's awesome. That's awesome. So I was reading up on, on you. Um, we've met. It's been years ago, but I was reading up a little bit, and you've been—you uh, got your start working with your uncle. Is that right? I did. Yeah, in South Carolina. South and Carolina. When I was 14. I was raised on a, on a family farm, and uh, I'd get on a tractor to cultivate beans to do something on the farm, and well, I'd watch my family pray for it to rain and pray for it to quit raining. And I said, <laughs> you know, I might need to find a little something to do to make a living that I've got a little more control over. And uh, my uncle had a boat repair shop in Charleston, South Carolina. And when I was 14, I had a car and a driver's license, restricted license, but was able to drive back and forth to work. And he offered me a job in 1966. So uh, he was also racing boats at the time, which really intrigued me. And uh, I would clock out to help him work on his race boat. And my payoff for helping him work on the race boat was he would let me make a pass up and down the, the river uh, when we went to test. So at 16, when I was 16 years old, he crashed, got hurt. He said, you know, I've got too much responsibility to do this. How would you like to drive it full time? So that's started my <laughs> said, put me in, coach. I'm ready to go. Wow. So, uh, I, had, I raced for 13 years, had a great career, and... Uh, and this really led me into boat manufacturing and my job here with Hydrosports in 1975 uh, when I moved to Nashville, Tennessee, and uh, the rest is uh, history. It's been a lot of fun. I've been blessed to be surrounded with a lot of 
great people, great craftsmen here that really know what they're doing in building boats, and we've had a lot of fun. I, you know, back to the racing thing, Earl, I, I know there's a lot of different kinds of boat racing, kind of like there is in, on terrestrial, you know, drag racing and all different variations on the NASCAR circuit, but yeah. tell us a little bit about the, the kind of racing you were doing. Well, we called it round around. You know, they had drag boat racing, uh -huh. you know, quarter mile racing, but uh, we we raced uh, circle racing with a buoy at each end. It wasn't offshore racing, and I ran uh, different classes with outboards and inboards. My uh, the last couple of years I raced my 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 little boat would run about 140 to 145 miles an hour. Wow. Uh, my big boat would run about 180 and have about that much pedal left. And uh, <laughs> unfortunately, in those days, that was the late 70s, early 80s, we didn't have capsules and seat belts. And uh, there were a lot of fatalities. And when I was 29 years old, I was given an opportunity to run Hydrosport. But part of the deal was I had to quit racing because I had, again, was going to have too much responsibility. So I... Uh, Janet and I got married. She said, I'll marry you while you're racing. We won't have kids because I'm not going to, until you quit, because I'm not going to raise them alone. But uh, we had a circuit in Europe we raced. We raced uh, Paris, Milan, Italy, Amsterdam, Bristol, England. Wow. All over Europe and uh, about 30 races a year in the United States. So a lot of fun. Mercury Marine had a factory racing team at the time. There were three of us that drove for Mercury. Uh, we had about a five million dollar budget back in the in the 70s, which was a lot of money back then. Wow, yeah. And uh, I had two great teammates that I still am very close with today, and uh, we had a lot of fun. We raced from Long Beach, California, to Miami, uh, Canada, and everything in between. Huh. So wow. it, was, it was a lot of fun. But uh, that led me into manufacturing, and really into more, especially the bass boat performance holds because we picked up a lot of things racing, little techniques and things you could uh -huh. do the running surface of a boat that we could apply to bass boats and the guy that owned Hydrosport that's one of the reasons he hired me because he always wanted his boats to go fast so we've applied that technology to bass boats and then subsequently uh, like our Michael Peters designed uh, double stepped holes on these offshore boats that we're building today uh, so performance means better fuel economy, better ride dry ride and help a customer get more value for his buck. So, yeah. And bass fishermen, most of them are just old boat racers anyway. They just might not have ever strapped into a race boat. And a quicker trip to where the fish are is always a good thing, too, I'm sure. <laughs> well, especially in a tournament situation. Yeah. You, know, you, you can stay there longer and fish longer because sure. it takes as long to get back. So our boat performed well. And uh, we, we started tooling and designing for this company uh, September the 4th. Uh, in 2018, and uh, it, it took about nine months to get the first 21-foot bass boat finished in production. Simultaneously, we were doing a 26- and 28-foot center console bay boat that is a good crossover boat. We call it a hybrid. It can be used for bass fishing, striper fishing, crappie fishing, but a lot of people here in Middle Tennessee, one of our biggest dealers is Clark Marine right here in town, but they have homes down in Orange Beach and Naples, Panama City, uh -huh. Apalachicola. So they go down and catch snapper and redfish out of it when they're not bass fishing. So it's a hybrid. <laughs> and we've expanded that now to our 34-footer and our 40-footer that uh, is actually sitting in the mole right now. The first one will be coming down the assembly line next wow. week. Wow. So 
Awesome. So it's being tested right now on the water today, right? <laughs> well, the new 19-foot bass boat is. Oh, okay. Uh, we've That's, got, okay, yeah. Uh, bass boats, we've just finished our complete line of bass boats, our 18, 19, 20, and 21. The 19 was the last one. Uh, but the, the, the new 40-foot uh, center console boat, that, that hull is already a proven hull. Michael Peters has already done all the testing in Florida. Awesome. Uh, this boat was actually tooled in Sarasota, Florida by Marine Concepts. And uh, so the boat will go into production, and we'll have the first one in the water, I hope, in about four weeks. That's exciting. I, I heard you mention that you've got a special boat being built for you right at the moment. Tell us about, <laughs> or, or well, as much as you can, about the one that's coming <laughs> off the line for you. I haven't had time to build myself one. And we just, for the 4th of July, my family and I went down to our home in South Florida uh, to, to fish over the 4th of July. Yeah. And I had to fish one out of one of my old brand of boats, which I have subsequently sold. <laughs> but my next-door neighbor has one of our 28-foot hybrids, and he was kind enough to let us go out with him and his boat. So uh, I'm going to have two boats at my house. One is a 28-foot uh, hybrid that I snook fish, red fish, and do close inshore fishing. We'll run out 15 miles offshore with it, uh -huh. but uh, as soon as we get the 30, the 40-footer done, the bigger boat, uh, I'll build one of those too, so I'll have one to run over to the islands in and then the smaller boat. But yeah, I'm building a 28-foot hybrid, and I just went back a few minutes ago to show them where I wanted the rod holders and all of that stuff <laughs> on it, you know, so get the trolling motor on the front, uh -huh. so... I can bass fish with it if I want to, but I keep it on a lift in front of my house, so it'll stay in Florida. I got you. I do have bass boats for up here. <laughs> That's great. That's great. Well, I'm interested in hearing about how you became involved in the outdoors. What what connected you to the outdoors, and then then you became a commissioner, and uh, and tell us about how that all happened. Well, I was raised on a farm. You know, both sides of my family farmed in South Carolina, and literally I could walk out my front door and uh, go out on the on the river and saltwater and fish, which I did at a very early age. I'd get out the back door, and, and I had uh, lots of land to hunt on. Yeah. And we would hunt deer. I shot my first turkey in 1966. Wow. A buddy of mine just sent me a picture of it the other day, right before I moved to Nashville, as oh, a matter yeah? of fact. And uh, so I was raised. Uh, my whole family, we were raised in the outdoors, hunting and fishing. We lived way out in the country. And again, it, it's always been my passion. And, and again, as I said earlier, being being blessed to be able to to have a career in something that's also my passion. I went to I went to school actually to be a veterinarian. Huh. I love I love animals and still I didn't love know animals. That. Yeah. Huh. But uh, some species of animals. Uh, I don't care for, so I figured why well, try to work hard to save something's uh, life and work with something that I don't care for. Uh, now, dogs I do love, but uh, when when I had an opportunity to present itself to make a living in the boat business, uh -huh. especially with fishing boats, you know, we don't do runabouts, and I, I did do pontoons at one time. We had a plant down in Mississippi where we built pontoon boats, and they're a lot of fun, good crossover boat as well. But when I moved to Tennessee, I didn't know anybody, but I did like to hunt and fish, and I went and bought a car, and a guy that was a sales manager at the dealership that I went to, he said, boy, because I talked funny, you know, I had that <laughs> South Carolina accent, uh -huh. he said, where are you from? I said, Charleston, South Carolina. 
And he said, uh, do you like to hunt fish? I said, yes, sir, I do. He said, well, we're going up to LBL. I didn't know what LBL was this weekend. Bow hunting. Deer, do you bow hunt? I said, yes, I do. So we went up there bow hunting. Oh, neat. And he ended up getting me in a in a club. And, of course, the guy that owned Hydrosport was an avid fisherman, so we fished together. So having access to a lot of boats in Hydrosports, I got to fish. And uh, one thing led to another. I befriended uh, many people at TWRA. And in 1995, uh, Governor Sunquist asked me to serve on the Wildlife Commission because uh-huh. I was always very opinionated about limits uh, on fish, creel limits, size limits, and, sure. and, and being a conservationist. You know, if we don't plant seeds, there's not going to be anything there for the next generation to to catch or to hunt. So it was an opportunity for me to uh, to volunteer for the commission. It takes a lot of time, a lot of dedication. And we were able to get a lot of things accomplished uh, on the commission. Uh, we had a great commission when I was on there. And uh, the, the buck limit was adjusted down from 11 bucks in unit A to 2. Uh, we got creel limits on bass put on lakes, which helped uh, everybody have more success. Raised the crappie limit to 10 inches, right. uh, which protected the spawners so that we would not take all the seed out of the lake, so to right. speak. And it's made hunting and fishing better than ever. You know, the, the world record deer now comes from Tennessee. Yeah. You know, my goal was to have Tennessee be a destination for people. Uh-huh. And uh, back when I first got on the commission, everybody that was a serious deer hunter in Tennessee, they were going to Kansas. So they were going to Kentucky leasing land. And, you know, there weren't people from Kansas coming to Tennessee. There weren't people from Kentucky coming to Tennessee. So now Tennessee is becoming a destination. Now we... My, my last year, I was chairman of the commission, and I went to Gary Meyer, who was the director uh-huh. at the time, and I, he said, what do, you want to, what do you want to do in your last year as chairman? I said, I want to get free-ranging elk in Tennessee. And he said, well, we've got a deal with Farm Bureau. We agreed not to pursue that again. Uh-huh. I said, well, that was you, not me. So uh, if you don't mind, I'm going to go talk with the Farm Bureau people, which I did, and uh, we had... A wonderful dialogue started with the Farm Bureau, and subsequently, within within about eight months, we had free-ranging elk in Royal Blue in East Tennessee. So now we have a huntable population, as right. you know, with some giant bull elk. Yeah. So, and the good thing was, I think when they tried it initially, I don't think Royal Blue was even in consideration for the place that 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 herd would be. And, exactly, it and, was not. And it made a huge difference having a place where they could thrive like well, they are. Well, the, the, the first place, you know, there were elk moving to the LBL. And, and, and where the agency, I think, prior to my time, wanted to put them was in West Tennessee, which was huge right. agriculture. Soybeans, yeah. corn, and the farmers, of course, were up in arms, as I would have probably been too. The deer are bad enough. Sure, sure. But... Uh, Royal Blue was only, that whole area over there was only 1% agriculture, and that was hay. Uh Uh, No corn, no beans, no row cropping. And really the residents in and around that area uh, embraced the elk and and, and more or less adopted them, and they were protectors of the elk. Right. And uh, became, and still is, a tourist attraction. You know, in September to go over and hear the the elk bugle that hadn't bugled in 150 years in in our state. So... uh, Pretty heartwarming. They let one of my daughters open the 
the gate and turn turn them loose one day, and that was uh, brought a tear to you. I, mean, I remember that cold day. We've got cold. video to prove it, don't we? It was cold. Uh, wow, yeah, it sure was. Yeah, the the uh, the night before, everybody was all set. They had all the the county school buses lined up to haul people up the mountain all to right. that uh, strip ledge where they were releasing the elk, and all of a sudden snow breaks out, and so we had about what about five or six inch snowfall in the night and they had to cancel all the school buses and but we were hey anybody with a four-wheel drive vehicle was able to make it up Absolutely. so we got them from elk island canada and which was a disease-free herd that had been monitored for a hundred years and i'll never forget that that, that one cow elk ran out of the trailer got right over the edge of the thing and turned around and looked at us <laughs> like you know, good to be home. Yeah, kind of look. You know That's what I mean. Awesome. So, and the and because of the strip mining, what they've done and in, in reclaiming and planting all the native seed forms right. of grasses. Right. It's great protein. So mm-hmm. these elk have got more to eat year round than they've ever had, and that's why uh, when we were at the uh, retirement uh, dinner the other night for Ed, uh, a guy from Campbell County showed me some pictures of bulls in his backyard. And I mean, these are 400 class bulls, biggest bulls I've ever seen in my life. Yeah. So again, Tennessee and Kentucky, Kentucky Uh has done it as well. You know, we're becoming a destination for someone who wants to get an elk. And as you know, on our uh, Tennessee uh, Wildlife uh, Resources Foundation, we're auctioning off a tag uh, some lucky person that is going to win one of six or seven wonderful prizes, the pinnacle of which is the opportunity to hunt a bull in our premier zone. Right, right. So that, that'd, be a, that'd be a number one choice, I'd say, for whoever wins that first ticket out of the out of the hopper. Would, um, would be for me. That's for that, sure. was, that was what I was going to say. I mean, you, you brought helped bring the elk here, and now now we're actually hunting them, and have a great population up at Royal Blue, and uh, I got to experience one of those releases in 2008, and it snowed that time too. Yeah, but uh, but yeah, that's awesome. So you became a, or you were one of the founding members of the foundation, I think, right? That that yes. kind of got, and they're getting this raffle going and all that kind of stuff too. Well, my last year as chairman, there were there were things that 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 the agency, as a state agency, cannot do. And I'll give you an example. We had a situation where we had an inholding of land that uh, was ruining the integrity of a waterfowl refuge. Mm-hmm. And the guy, the farmer, wanted to sell it to us. It was very small, but it appraised for, and I don't remember the number, but let's just say $2,000 an acre. Well, he would sell it to us, but he could get 10000 an acre for <laughs> yeah. it. And he said, you know, I'd like to sell it to you guys, but I can't sell it for two. I'm leaving so much money on the table. And we couldn't, the agency could not buy it. But the foundation could and donated to TWRA to preserve the integrity of the refuge. So Larry Markham, who was chief of uh, wildlife at the time, came to me and said, hey, over in Arkansas, they've got this foundation that, 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 you know, you can get some of your buddies and put a little money up and start this thing. And uh, we can get around the problems that, that their agency faces because of the restrictions, the handcuffs that are put on them because of state regs. So we did. It's obviously independent yep. of the agency, but its sole purpose in our mission statement, we are there solely to support the efforts of TWRA. And uh, 
We're non-political. We don't get involved in all the politics and all that stuff. But we're there to, to, to support each region of the state, every wildlife officer, every sportsman in this state, but to contribute to the overall success of TWRA. So yes, myself uh, and another guy put up the bulk of the money to start with, Joey Woodard, who heads it up for us. Yes. Uh, heads up also heads up the Tennessee Stream Mitigation Program, which the uh, the foundation manages as well. Uh, Joey is uh, is hardworking. Johnny Allred. I mean, they've done a great job with it. And you know, our one-shot governor's turkey hunt that we have the first of April every year is uh, a lot of fun. If people haven't been, they need to try to get in it. Oh, it yeah. sells out pretty quick. Definitely. And that's one of the prize packages yeah. too. It is. If, a if slot, you're a turkey yeah. hunter, you and you. Uh, get drawn you want to go there then Preston Pittman is going to be your guide <laughs> oh for boy. the day and uh, he makes man. a pretty good call too. yeah oh and he's he's offered to give everybody or give that person who wins everything uh, one of everything he makes in the way of a call wow so imagine wow. that and that's, then one special call sweet. just for that right the you know, one of, a one of one thing you know he's going to make it just for that guy or that lady you know you know we enjoy that uh, of course i've been to every one of them that we've had and uh, my whole family enjoys it my 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 son-in-laws my daughters my wife and i our grandkids come and it's just a fun event to get together with like-minded people and enjoy the evening. It is. Festive. Food is fantastic. Uh-huh. And uh, we just have fun, you know. And I really and like the venue where we've been the last few years, too, at the, at at the, the factory, factory in Franklin. Yeah, in Franklin. It's, it's a perfect venue. Very homey, home, down-home feel. But uh, Richard Logson does a great job of getting the thing set up and giving it that feel. And uh, He's a pro, and too. And the folks come, and there's plenty of room. And like yeah. you said, great food. And it's just a good, good time of fellowship. Folks like you that love the outdoors, love to be in the outdoors, and want to pass it on, can come, can become a member of the foundation, right? If they Absolutely want to and help can. out. Absolutely can. And uh, we've got all different types of membership levels. But and I and I would get people all the time saying, how can what can we do to support TWRA? And we didn't have a vehicle right. to do that. You know, they couldn't just write a check exactly, for TWRA. Yeah. So this is a way that they can write a check to the foundation. We have Heritage Club memberships that uh, get you invited to the governor, get you a slot in the governor's turkey hunt, that gets you the dove hunt slots, that gets you the, on the long-range shooting yes. things that we hold, and, uh, and, and then gives them an opportunity to, to give back, you know, and pay it forward, as they say. And, yeah. You know, I've got three... Three grandsons today. I've got one more grandson coming in uh, September. Oh wow! And uh, you know the 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 other two have already been introduced to hunting and fishing. Uh, the, the the third one's only a month old, so he'll he's actually going to the farm this weekend for the first time. We're going to put <laughs> game cameras out, so oh, his dad me. and I, and hopefully we'll carry him around and <laughs> hopefully not get a tick on him. But uh, <laughs> you know, you you uh, mentor these children and. The one of the problems with society today is that there are too many distractions. When I was, we didn't have Facebook and all this computer stuff right. when I was a kid. Like yeah. I said earlier, I'd walk out, you know, one door to hunt and one other door to fish. That's all there was to do that and play high school football. And uh, these children today have so many distractions. So we have so many wonderful natural resources and opportunities to hunt and fish in Tennessee, we do. public waters, uh, many, many 
tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of acres of public hunting grounds. Yeah. Great deer hunting, great turkey hunting, small game, squirrels and rabbits and everything else. So I hope more people will take time to introduce their children so that we keep our great traditions going, especially here in Tennessee. Yeah. Well, you know, if, if you can't become a member, you, you know, and don't want to do that, you can support the foundation by buying a raffle ticket. Right. You know, we're selling hats that I'm wearing today, and that money goes back to the foundation to help support programs and stuff. So there's ways to contribute and, and just pass it on to your kids, you know. Listen, our, our G&A costs and our foundation are minimal. It, it, we've got to be giving more money back by far than, than any other 501c3 in the state of Tennessee. And uh, the, the, the staff of people that we've got there, it, there's a lot of volunteerism. We've, we've got a terrific board on the foundation. And, you know, they all love to hunt and fish. Yeah. And, 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 and many of them are doing it for nothing. Yeah. And, uh, you know, we've got a minimal staff that directs it out to our nearly 600 employees of TWRA uh -huh. to different divisions around the state and uh, to do good things for hunters and fishermen. So in that, in that same way, you know, there are a lot of wildlife officers out in their communities that have great relationships with the local bait and tackle shop or the big box store that where they can get stuff and, and uh, make make events happen and the foundation is so helpful in, in helping accommodate that. We do and I hate I hate to use the term launder that yeah. money but these these wildlife officers uh, that many of them come to mind that, that they were having to do manage that themselves. Right. So that money hundred percent comes in, a hundred percent goes out to whatever that wildlife officer uh, whatever program that the locals wanted to support in that region. Right. So, it's a it's a it's a wonderful vehicle. And every quarter, I get a statement from Dan Sigmund, who keeps track of all that stuff. I don't know how many accounts there are, but there are restricted accounts for each officer yeah. uh, who wants one. You know exactly. that 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 where they can handle that money and donations come in, it goes right in that account. And then he can go out and buy fishing rods for kids or. Or do whatever he needs to do to, to spread the word. That's another thing. A lot of people don't realize what our officers do. You know, yeah. it's not all about uh, writing tickets, writing and tickets, enforcing the laws. You know, they do so many things in their community. They're great ambassadors. They are first of all for uh, our agency, and they do a wonderful job of uh, promoting youth hunting. Mm -hmm. And I, I'm just. That all the names are running through my head. I won't mention any, but many of them put together their own youth hunts and call landowners to line them up. Right, right. Well, Earl, this has been awesome. I really appreciate you letting us come to your place and, and, and shoot here. It's been great to see these boats. I can't wait to do a little tour around here and check these out. But You bet. Well, thanks uh, for coming. Thanks for everything you've done for, for the agency, for the foundation, for wildlife, for sportsmen and women of Tennessee. I appreciate it. It's been an honor for me. Thank you. We appreciate you. Thank you, Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. All right. Well, that's going to do it for this edition of Tennessee Wildcast. We appreciate y'all tuning in. Thanks for watching. Thanks for listening. And we'll see you next time. Thanks for tuning in. Stay connected with TWRA by visiting our website at tnwildlife.org. And follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Hey, it's all about Tennessee wildlife. It's what we do. Tennessee Wildcast will be on the air again next week. We'll see you then.